We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, guys, welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian today for the 56th episode of BuzzBeat. Uh, unfortunately, guys, we will be without Spencer today as he's on vacation in Charleston, South Carolina. On this episode, we'll be covering the week that was for the Hornets as they played the Bulls, the Celtics, and the 76ers. We are recording this on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon. I don't know if we've ever done an afternoon recording. We've done a nighttime one. I don't think so. We've done, I, don't think, we, I don't think we've done an afternoon. We're usually yeah, morning people. Morning, yes. But uh, So by the time you're actually listening to this, though, the Hornets would have played another game. Uh, they played the Raptors Sunday night in the Air Canada Center. Um, but as always, we'd like to shout out the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, where you can find team-specific pods like ours, as well as shows related to the NBA draft, fantasy, uh, and a whole lot more. And please also give our friends, Sports Channel 8, a follow on Twitter, at Sports Channel 8, that's the number 8, and visit their website, SportsChannel8.com, for all your North Carolina sports needs. Uh, before we begin our show, though, I want to give one of our followers, uh, at Ellis Cohn, uh, a shout-out for writing a very thoughtful and nice review of our show. He wrote, Best Hornets coverage around, host understand front office dynamics, cap structure, advanced stats, and great at explaining X's and O's. In a city where much of the local media seems like they're on the Hornets' payroll, BuzzBeat is a refreshing change-up. Uh, first off, definitely wanted to thank Ellis for that review, uh, but also for all the other reviews out there on iTunes. Uh, and please keep those reviews coming in, listeners. Uh, it, it really does help us bring more exposure to the podcast. So uh, let's check in on Brian before we begin the show and covering of the three games. We'll talk about the playoff push, if that actually is a possibility, and we'll probably get to some draft talk as well. So BG, how how's everything going up in the triangle? Things are good in Raleigh. Things are good. No complaints. Uh, it's a windy but beautiful day outside here. Busy times. I'll be covering the Duke-UNC game tonight as the regular season in the ACC comes to a close. So, you know, make sure to look for my, my stupid face sitting courtside on press row at that game and getting ready to take off uh, for Brooklyn on Monday morning, actually, with uh, the rest of I'll be covering the tournament for ACCSports.com and doing some stuff for Sports Channel 8. I'm heading up there with a the Sports Channel 8 crew. We are flying out of RDU on Monday. So that'll be cool and looking forward to getting back up to uh, to New York City. But things are good, man. How, how, about, how about you? How are things down in the, uh, the 704? Uh, doing well. Doing well. I feel like I'm finally catching my breath with the school year. I, I've kind of caught up. I was kind of backlogged the last several weeks, but now... Now it's, you know, we're at the point in the school year where I've kind of, you know, hit my stride, doing well, um, but nothing right. nothing too major uh, down here. But yeah, so let's start off the show. Um, so we're going to start with the first game. 
of the actual work week. Uh, we did not cover the Sunday game of last week, but we're just going to begin the game uh, on Tuesday against Chicago. And we traveled. No, Chicago came to us. Chicago came yep. to us. And um, and they're, they're a pretty bad road team uh, pretty much all season. So the Hornets were able to pick up their fifth straight win as they beat the Bulls 118-103. Both teams shot the ball extremely well at 53% and 48% respectively, uh, which is a little bit abnormal for both of these teams who are kind of towards the bottom of the league when it comes to field goal percentage. The game was close early, but uh, Charlotte came out of the half, scored 36 points in the third quarter, and that pretty much sealed the deal for the for the home team. Uh, we did see injuries, though, to Zeller and MKG, but luckily we got some contributions off the bench as well to kind of make up for that. So I'll throw it to you first, BG, for this Chicago game. Uh, any notable stats or observations, positive or negative, that you had on, on this win in Ch- or versus Chicago? I mean, lots of positives. Right off the bat, again, Chicago's not a very good team, especially on the road, and this is a team that's actively not trying to win games right now. Certainly the players in the court are, are trying, but this is a roster that they're giving 26, 27 minutes to Cristiano Felicio, and he, he played all right, I guess, this game, but he's a plus-minus monster in the wrong way. Uh, when this guy plays, the Hornets are pretty – or not, pardon me, not the Hornets, but the Bulls are pretty terrible. So, um, you know – Keep that in mind. The Bulls, not a very good team. But, man, I thought the Hornets played great. Um, they shoot 54% from the field. Uh, relatively low turnover game. Or actually, relatively high. 14 turnovers. But they assist on 28 of their 44 field goals. They get up 35 three-pointers, Richie Randall. You know I love when they <laughs> shoot above 30, when they get above 30. I think that should be the new tenant of Cliff Ball. Uh, they make 15 of them which is also a great number, 43% from downtown. Kemba Walker, of course, leading the charge. He goes 6 of 10 from deep, 11 of 19 overall, 31 points. I just thought Kemba was – this was another one of those games where he was in. He was just incredible. 34 minutes, he also hands out five assists and snags two rebounds too. He, he was terrific in this game. The Bulls didn't have an answer for him. Chris Dunn is a pretty good defensive point guard. Yep. And a guy that we've seen give Kemba, I don't, I don't, I would hesitate. I would stop short of saying issues this year, but uh, he's he he made Kemba work for some buckets when these two teams met earlier in the year up in Chicago, and and Kemba was pretty terrific against him, according to um, NBA.com's new matchup feature. In this game, Kemba goes Kemba goes six of thirteen versus Chris Dunn, uh, including five of eight on three-pointers for 20 points in this game. So 20 of his 31 points come against Chris Dunn. So that's pretty good work from the captain, as uh, as the Hornets broadcast likes to mention uh, multiple times throughout the telecast. Kemba is, in fact, the captain yes. of this team. When, I'll, I'll, one other, thing, one other yeah. thing before I'll send it back to you real quickly. You know, you just mentioned MKG hurt in this game, played just six minutes. Jeremy Lamb, terrific off the bench once again. 15 points on nine field goal attempts and five assists. The starting lineup, the four starters plus Lamb, which have been that's been a good lineup all year for the Hornets. Good again against a bad Bulls team. They score 1.4 points per possession in 11 minutes, which is terrific. And they hold Chicago to under 79 points per 100 possessions in this game. Again, in 11 minutes of action, that's almost a quarter's worth of, of time on the court together. And Lamb, plus the four other starters with him in place of Michael K. Gilchrist, uh, was terrific. And that's, again, that's been a good five for the Hornets all season long. Yeah, I didn't know about this matchup feature on NBA.com. When was that instituted? I believe that may have been, honestly, the first time I saw it show up was this week. I really do think that's something. It was, if it wasn't this week, it happened maybe the week after All-Star break. That's a new thing. Now, you can go back, and it, and it applies to older older games and stuff like that, too, which is sort of neat. So I even looked, went back, and you know, Kemba, dropped, Kemba dropped 40 on the Portland Trailblazers about a month ago. And so Ivan was able to go back and look up that hmm. in that 40-point game, Kemba goes 7 of 17 against Damian Lillard, including 5 of 9 on three-point attempts. Uh, 22 points in that game against Damian Lillard. So 22 of Kemba's 40 against Portland about four weeks ago came with uh, against fellow All-Star Damian Lillard. So that's a fun thing. 
um you can go go in there and mess around with it's just in the it's in the box score feature for each okay. individual i'll definitely have him. to go check that out because that's the same note that i took when i when i started this game against uh, chicago i was like oh yeah we're going up against dunn who is typically you know a scrappy defender he definitely makes yeah. opposing point guards earn every bucket uh but the thing that i did note it seemed like charlotte made a concerted effort to get kemba freed up in high pick and roll so they would go set a high pick and roll on dunn and you know Dwight did a good job of setting you know aggressive screens coming out high and it gave a lot of room for Kimba to work with so he, he you know he was able to operate and if the big didn't close down he was able to pull up from three pull up from mid-range or if the big came too hard uh, he'll drive right by that big so I, I think that was a good good effort on Charlotte's part good effort on Dwight's part Kimba's part just kind of operating those high pick and rolls and that's that's the one thing that we want to see out of Dwight is, is kind of being aggressive with those pick and rolls and and this probably is going to be a common theme on today's show is, is Kimba's been playing well in the, in this week. It's, I feel like Dwight Howard overall has been playing well, you know, in these three games. He thought he was aggressive real early in the first quarter um, with his rebounding. And again, we keep seeing those backside alley-oops with Batum where he just kind of leans on his man and he, and they just kind of make this eye contact, spins backside for the alley-oop. And um, I, I was taking like an unofficial tally of his alley-oops and his, uh, his left hand hook shots in this game and they yeah. both were four by my unofficial count so but there was a point in the third quarter I think he received a technical and from that point on he, he was aggressive in attacking the other big he made several left-hand hook shots and again he's also working those backside alley-oops with Batum which is, I feel like is it's got to be at, at least once a game at least once a yeah. game we've seen these things yeah so Dwight in this game goes 10 of 12 from the field a uh, few numbers on that. Eight of his ten field goals come from inside of two feet. <laughs> all ten of his all ten of the field goals come from inside of six feet. Um, he had four post up makes, and th- like one of them was a quick post up, like grab, turn, face, score. Three of them were sort of longer back downs. That that's still you know that that's a few too many for for my for my taste. But at least he he made them in this game. Four alley oops in this game, and that alley oop. Those alley-oops, a lot, most of them coming from Nick Batum. And Dwight, I mean, those two, the, the chemistry they've had the last two weeks has been pretty unbelievable. So I looked this up uh, this morning here. Dwight has 58 alley-oops on the season. It's a little under one per game. He's played in 63 games. So close to one per game, not quite there, though. But over the last six games, Dwight has 14 alley-oop makes. Uh, so better than two per game. Yeah. And 12 of those alley-oops have been assisted by Nick Batum, two assisted by Kemba Walker. And in that stretch, that six-game stretch, last half-dozen games, Dwight shooting 78% in the restricted area, which is incredible. And he's been averaging only about four post-ups per game in that stretch. That's, again, still a little too high for my for my taste. Like, I'd rather the Hornets cut that in half and now we're talking. But, hey, that, that you know... I, I won't complain too much about that. And to your point about the the Dwight Howard Nick Batum connection, Dwight shooting 44% from the field after a pass from Nick Batum this season. However, in the last six games, that same six game stretch where they've been flashing this alley oop chemistry. Let me guess. Let me guess. 60? No, even better. Dwight 71% from the field after a pass from Nick Batum, 20 of 28. Uh, 19 assists from Batum. 12 of them have been have been alley oops, and in that stretch of time, those six games, Nick Batum with assist an assist rate of 38 percent, which is just an incredible. I mean, that would be like a top 10 number in the league over the course of a whole season. So, it that has been refreshing. You've seen less post ups of Dwight, more mm-hmm. offensive glass, more rim runs, yep. more of those back shoulder lobs from Batum. And I said this to you and Spencer on episode 55 last week. Those are the type of plays that when the offense bogs down, the Hornets have this tendency to throw the ball to Dwight. They space out and they try to let Dwight back down. He usually draws a foul or he turns it over or he misses a hook shot. Sometimes he's able to, you know, double comes and he hits Marvin for a three or whatever, but it's really not great offense. That's the kind of stuff that I wish the Hornets did more of. I know it's not easy to just throw lobs over the top from 30 feet away. I get that. But, um, you know, when the team is having trouble moving it side to side or getting uh, north-south with Kemba out of the pick and roll, that's the kind of stuff, that's the sort of high percentage looks 
that I thought we'd see more of from Dwight this year. I thought you'd see two, three alley-oops per game with him this season, not one or so. Yeah. So it's been promising to see that recently, albeit it's probably coming at a time in the year where it's it, it's probably a little too late, um, unfortunately. But no, great, great action from Dwight in this game. I thought this was a strong offensive game for him, efficient. And uh, he, even took it, he even took advantage of the, the Bulls not having a lot of good post defenders, and he certainly went to work over guys like Felicio. The Hornets as a team shoot 16 of 22 inside of four feet in this game, 73%. So really good work from the Hornets at the basket against a Bulls team that's really not very good defensively, but nonetheless still impressive. I mean, and to your point, and not, and not to like toot my own horn, but like when we first first traded for Dwight Howard, I remember sending out a tweet just kind of seeing how he can be used in our offense. And I made a mention of it. I don't know exactly when I sent the tweet, but it was definitely within days of the trade. But like I was talking about, we need to see a lot of these backside alley-oops. Like I, I use that term. And now that we're actually seeing it, we see the chemistry building between Nick and Dwight Howard. And it's what we expected to see from the get-go. And like you said, we want to see less post-ups, more of the hard rim runs, more of the alley-oops. Everyone talks about how you know Nick Howard, Nick and Howard are finally kind of gaining this chemistry. It's because the, it's because of these alley-oops. You can't really gain yep. a chemistry by throwing an entry pass for a post-up. Like yep. That's not where the chemistry is created. It's on these alley-oops or these hard rim runs that uh, that Dwight seemingly has been doing a better job of, you know, as of late. But I do want to talk about one negative, Brian. I know that, you know, we won this game. There was a lot of positives to talk about. But, man, Carter Williams I I, in the, yeah. in the I bet, I was like, quarter. I was going to say, I bet I can guess. I was going to say, I bet I can guess. Yeah. Uh, was not pretty for no i mean it it felt like there were weren't you know weren't defenders within like four or five feet of him on most of these attempts in the second quarter and you know chicago was was hey you take those shots we will live with them which is which is fine i mean he hasn't proven otherwise that he can shoot the ball he was one of seven in the second quarter from the field and oh of four from behind the arc i mean his his lack of shooting man is just going to kill his career in the nba like it not only does it affect him, it affects the other players on the court because his man can sag off into the paint. And if, and then if you put the ball in his hands, you know, running the pick and roll, let's say, it's completely negated because his man can go under every single time and recover. So I, I we've talked about this before. I don't know how much longer his his time span will be in the NBA because of his lack of shooting. I mean, his defense is great and all, but if he can't shoot the ball and he lacks confidence also attacking the rim, I'm not really sure how you incorporate this guy unless you play him off ball. But, uh, I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on Carter Williams? No, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. And we've talked about this a lot this season. Like I'm not, I'm not completely sure who is going to be Michael Michael Carter Williams will be playing basketball for money somewhere next season. I'm just not entirely sure who the employer will be. And I wouldn't be completely surprised if it wasn't one of the, you know, if it it was someone outside of the 30 NBA teams. Um, Look, there's not a lot of room in the NBA for for wings and guards that can't shoot from anywhere on the court. And you've got to be an elite defender and, Man, I think MCW is a really great defender. I would have, I know Clifford refers to him as elite, so maybe we should trust Cliff's Cliff's judgment there. I would probably stop short of of elite, but he is he certainly is a special defender. Let's not take anything away from him there. But yeah, you just look everywhere on the court is a dead zone for this guy. Um, eight of forty from the mid range this season, twenty percent. He's shooting just fifty one percent at the rim. That's a bad number. In the paint, non restricted area, thirteen of forty eight. 27% um, from the left corner this season. MCW is one of 14 uh, for 7% from the left corner At, totally on corner threes this season, five of 23 and he's nine of 35 on above the break threes under 26%. There just, there isn't much, much place for this guy in the NBA and it's tough because he's on a one year get right contract. Like this was supposed to be theoretically, this should have been a big season for him. Um, in, a, in a backup role, playing, you know, helping a potential playoff team win, you know, get to the get to the postseason. And unfortunately, again, half the game defensively, he's been very good. But coming off the injury and trying to work his way back into the lineup, I mean, he, look, he's never been a great shooter, and this is his worst shooting season of his career. 
And clearly there wasn't a lot of demand for this guy on the open market last season. I mean, the Hornets got him for basically the minimum. So, again, maybe he can close strong the last 19 games this season. Maybe the Hornets bring him back because neither of them right. has another option. Or, you know, who knows? I just I think it, it might be tough for this guy to find the premium on shooting becomes higher and higher each and every season. And it's taking another leap forward this season with a team like the Rockets that are shooting more threes than they are two pointers for the first time in NBA history. That's going to happen this season, most likely. So I just I love that he's still competing and he, he plays so freaking hard uh-huh. defensively, but. He's just such a liability on offense because on the ball, off the ball, I mean, he just it's a hole every time he's on the court because he simply can't shoot. And there's no there's no need to worry about even shading a defender in his direction because he just can't make you pay. Like at least with MKG, you can say, hey, that that 17 footer when he can dribble once, he makes it probably 45, 46 percent of the time. At least that's a thing. Uh, with 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 Carter Williams, it's probably in the tw- it's closer to 20, 25 percent. Yeah. And that's just uh, Richie. That's just not enough. Yeah. And, and at least at least Kid Gilchrist, too, also has the ability to drive as well. So Carter Williams, mm-hmm. like you think he should be able to drive, but his finishing around the rim this year has been very inconsistent. So, yeah. Michael, you know, Kid Gilchrist has that ability that Car- Carter Williams does not. I do want to end on a positive note for this game, and if you have any other uh, last words about this game before we move on to the Celtics, uh, I'll let you jump in in here. But just um, Nick Batum, I know that he's had a bad up and down year shooting the ball, and yeah. um, you know coming back from injury, I thought was a little rush that probably played a little bit of a role. But I will say that recently, you know his distributing has has been very good, and in this game against Chicago, he had twelve assists. But he also grabbed a team-high six defensive rebounds. And I took a note of this in the first quarter. It was either the first quarter or the second quarter. I think it was the first quarter. That it seems like Charlotte is getting the ball into Batum's hands in transition. So not only does this allow Nick to feel comfortable with the ball in his hands, be the distributor that he has known to be uh, with this team, it also gets Kimball off ball where he excels and so I, I almost feel like those two are correlated in a sense. You know, he had six defensive rebounds, 12 assists, gets the ball in his hands. They push the ball up the court, uh, and, and he can see the floor, which he does very well, uh, and, and distribute the ball. But here here's some stats post-All-Star break. Batum is averaging close to seven, seven rebounds a game and nine assists a game. So, you know, if, if he can't, you know, be productive shooting the ball from deep, which I think he did – Okay, you know, last night against the the 76ers, but it's been an up and down year for him. At least he's producing in other ways. So I just wanted to give a last little shout out to Nick Batum before we move on to the Celtics game. Any other thoughts about this game? Yeah, and just just like I said earlier, he's his assist rate in that stretch, 38%. Um, that would be good for number eight in the league over the course of a full season. So yeah, Nick has been Nick has been really strong in that um And that stretch of time, one last thing I would also throw in there real quickly. The Hornets did not shoot well from the corners, but they did get up nine corner threes, which is also a healthy number to see, albeit, again, against a bad defense. But, again, these are sort of like positive positive signs you want to see. These are are the money areas on the court that you should be able to get shots from with a dynamic pick-and-roll point guard like Kemba Walker. But, yeah, I'm ready to to move on to what was a less fun game in the – of the week here especially in the second half especially in the second half but yeah Hornets yeah. picked up their fifth straight win which I think was a season high uh going into Boston yeah. uh they had to travel to Boston for a back-to-back so this was the second game on Wednesday night uh they did not have either MKG or Cody in the lineup for this one so Travion got the starting nod at the small forward position which seems to be uh kind of predictable in the sense that they, they wanted Lamb to kind of still have his role uh, off yeah. the bench. The Celtics shot 62% from the field in this game, ending Charlotte's streak with a 134-106 win. Felt like at one point in this game, it was just like a one-on-one battle between Kyrie and Kemba, like in the second quarter. And they just traded blows possession after possession. So another another notable um, note to kind of talk about, uh, Celtics out-rebounded the Hornets 43-24. to um, But again, if you're going to shoot that high of a percentage, I'm assuming your opportunities 
will come with a little less frequency. So a lot of Howard and Kemba in this game uh, as they both combine for 43 points. Brian, I'll let you start again. Thoughts after watching this game? It was close for a half, uh, but that soon changed once when the third quarter started. Yeah, this was a bad, really bad defensive performance for the, the Hornets. And look, it was Boston's night. And I think I think the Celtics are one of those teams that it's a really bad matchup for Dwight. They space the floor so perfectly. Your, your center, even, even when Horford's playing the four and, and you've got Baines and Monroe out there, you're still asking the center, the opposing five, to, to read so much stuff. I mean, so many back screens and cuts and pin downs, and you've got to be on your toes in a help position the entire game. And it's just, it's asking, and it's not just white. Look, it's any, it's any sort of like older, old school set. I mean, one of the Lopez brothers, they'd have trouble against this. Gortat would have trouble against this. It's just asking a lot. And the, according to NBA.com, the Boston Celtics score 133.2 points per 100 possessions, which is just an avalanche. And according to, by that metric, that's the Hornets' least efficient defensive performance of the entire season. Uh, Boston scores at least 30 points in all four quarters, which is just, uh, I mean, what are you supposed to do about that? And again, look, it was Boston's night. Uh, they were heading into the all-star break. They were having some struggles on the offensive end, even when Kyrie sat or even when Kyrie was playing and Horford was playing, they were having trouble scoring, but they've gotten hot recently, um, against a, a softer schedule, like the Hornets, the, the Grizzlies, the Knicks, they've been playing pretty well recently. I think they've won four or five in a row. And uh, Kyrie was just an incredible in this game. He goes 13 of 18 from the field, 34 points in under 25 minutes of action. And as you said, this was a showdown between two all-star point guards, Kyrie and Kemba. Kyrie goes 11 of 15 against Kemba for 24 points. And on the flip side, yeah, Kemba goes, Kemba did not draw. uh, He was being guarded by a variety of different players. So Kemba goes four of eight on field goal attempts against Kyrie, two of four on three-pointers for 11 points. So this is one of those games where everything was going right for Boston. The Hornets did not play well, which went into that. But in that duel, Kyrie sort of got the best of uh, of Kemba in, in this matchup. One positive, I will say before throwing it back to you here, you know, I guess at least this game was over soon enough so that Clifford could sit the guys in the fourth, sit the starters in the fourth quarter and let them rest, so I guess they could go lose. Lose to Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. They played. They played pretty well for about ninety percent of yeah. that game against yeah. against the Seventy Sixers. So, but yeah, any 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 thoughts from you in, in yeah. this matchup with I the mean, Celtics? This is this is like a common theme this season. Common theme for this week. I just feel like it's a reliance on Kimba uh, to, to kind of be productive as the as a team. Kimba's got to be out there on the court. Uh, he was so good early in this game in the first half. Don't think he missed a shot in the first half. I think he was perfect from the field. Uh, you know, he had he had his step back working. He was working off dribble handoffs, pick and rolls. Uh, it did, I don't think he missed either in the first quarter or the he second not, no. second quarter. He was eight in, in the first half. He was eight of eight from the field, four of four on threes, 21 points on eight field goal attempts in the first half. That yeah. is ridiculous. So I took a note of that, like where he just could not miss, scored 11 points in the first quarter, and that that helped the Hornets keep pace in the first half. But also in the second quarter, I took a note of the fact that when he was off the court, which he typically starts off the court um, to start that second quarter, it seemed like Charlotte couldn't get anything going. But once when he came back on, it was very visible and very immediate, the confidence and the effectiveness that Charlotte played with when he immediately came back on in the second quarter. So I had to take a look at that on the on-off statistics after the game. So this is just the second quarter alone, not the game, the second quarter alone. With Kimba off the court uh, versus Boston, the team scored .6 points per possession. It's not good. Effective field goal percentage of 27% and scored six points in six minutes. So then at the midway point when he comes on, Kimba and the team scores 1.8 points per possession, has an effective field goal percentage of 83, and then they score 22 points in the final six minutes of the second quarter. So again, this is a theme this year, the reliance on Kimba. When he's off the court, uh, it seems to be a struggle unless we have this like breakout game from Kaminsky and Lamb and Carter Williams and everything is clicking. 
we're good to go. And we're a team that doesn't stagger, Brian. Like we, it feels yeah. like it's like wholesale changes where, you know, we saw last night against the 76ers. It seems like they always had one or two starters on at, at a time. And when Clifford does this, it's, it puts a lot of pressure on that bench unit and they could not come up in the second quarter uh, for the Hornets. But I will say Dwight Howard also played well, um, but he needs to stop attempting mid range shots. He missed all four of his shots outside of five feet but having said that he made all of his 10 shots within five feet so if he's not picking up on that by now that he needs to be in the paint hard you know hard rolls alley-oops uh i don't know what's going to get through to him because he needs to stop taking those and in in dwight just one defensive rebound in this game huh? in a little over 26 minutes of action so the three rebounds total just one on the defensive end so this was not again he, he shot the ball well uh 10 of 15, which is great. But yeah, again, I mean, the Celtics are just, it's a weird matchup for him. And like I said, he's being asked to do a lot and it was tough. You look, the, the, the secondary parts, Trevian Graham plays 30 minutes. He goes one of five from the field. Marvin Williams, 22 minutes, one of eight from the field and only one of five from deep. So from your two starting forwards, you go two of 13 and one of six on threes. That's just, you know, six total points. Um, that's not enough. You did see Malik Monk get some minutes this game with, uh, with Michael, with, uh, MKG out Malik Monk getting some of the, the backup wing minutes and even played a little bit with Kemba in this game too. But Richie, you know, you're pulling so hard for the guy. You want it to go well. You want some semblance of, of positive vibes to come from this guy. And it's just, Right now, I think this season it might just be it might be lost for Malik, and hopefully he can maybe have a good summer, put in a good showing out in Vegas where the Hornets will be, and and, and come back, uh, you know, as a, a second year guy and playing better. But he goes just one of seven from the field. Um, Hornets are minus seven in his 19 minutes of action, one of three on three pointers. And I guess my thing, I, I actually I wrote about this in a post uh, at Sports Channel late this week. You just you wish this guy could come in and do something. He had one thing to hang his hat on. Do you know what I mean? Where you could say, even with MCW, and these are d- different players because MCW is in his fifth or sixth year in the league. He's established, whatever. But at least you know with MCW, you come in, you're like, okay, this guy's going to play good defense. He's going to fight over the top of ball screens. He's going to do this. With Malik Monk, what is the thing that you can count on him to do that's positive? Like All this guy really does is he comes in and he takes contested mid-range twos. Um, so yeah, a couple of numbers on this. Since Christmas, Malik Monk has appeared in just 16 games for the Hornets. Uh, he's averaging under six minutes per contest in that stretch. He shot just 24% from the field and made uh, only nine three-pointers. A um, few other things. Nearly 25% of Malik Monk's field goal attempts this season are pull-up twos. He's made just 23.6% of those shots. And yeah, it's just tough. Look, I, I know this year has been it's been rough because he's had his role jerked around when guys have been when MCW was out and then came back and the team hasn't been successful and his head coach missed six weeks during the season with health issues. The GM's been fired. The franchise player has been was shopped at the trade deadline. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot to ask a guy that I think turned 20 during the course of the season to say, hey, handle this all maturely. Um, that's a lot to ask. And I at my age, at age 19, 20, I would not have been able to handle that. But you just you're pulling so hard for him because he clearly has a lot of talent on the offensive end and has what looks to be the firepower to be a dynamic scorer. But right now, it's just, you know, here we are 80% of the way through the season. And I just think it's, I don't know if you're going to see it, you know. And it's not easy to just to every two weeks when the guy's expected to play 15 to 20 minutes as opposed to not playing to expect him to be great. But you just, you wish he had one thing that he could hang his hat on. Or, or I mean, what I'm sort of trying to get at is you just wish he would stop taking these pull-up twos. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, stop do, like, please stop doing that. Um, those are bad for everybody. So, uh, fingers crossed that Malik can finish the season on a strong note over the final 18, 19 games, but I don't even know what his minutes will look like in that stretch too. No. And, I, and 
I will say he's had inconsistent minutes, you know, you know, and, and not a lot of minutes, a lot of DNPs this season. And yeah. I don't know how much of that you can blame on him being, you know, out of rhythm or whatever, but I also feel like his play has also dictated his minutes. I think it goes both ways. It's, it's you know, you can't just say that he hasn't been playing well because he hasn't gotten consistent minutes. I also feel like he's not been getting consistent minutes because he hasn't, like you said, had something to hang his hat on when he enters the game. Because on defense, that that's where he's got more of a ways to go. You thought this guy was going to come in and be a spark plug off the bench, but really, outside of one or two games, like he, he really hasn't provided that spark scoring the ball mm-hmm. off the bench. And the more and more we see uh, Donovan Mitchell play in this league his rookie year, he doesn't even Boy. look like a rookie out there sometimes, and you it's know, just... Veteran, presence, everything. <sighs> yeah. The, the game... I mean, the, the, the two best games Malik had this season Bucks. were the Bucks game that was back in October and the Knicks game at, at Madison Square Garden. I think that was like the first or second week of November. I mean, those those were those were an eternity ago in the yeah. course of an NBA season. Yeah. Speaking so, of the Knicks, Hernan uh, yeah. Gomez in this game. Oh, my gosh. Another bad performance in the second quarter. So last game it was Carter Williams. Hernan Gomez, yeah. oh, my God, trying to guard Greg Monroe. I mean – Greg Monroe scored seven points in five minutes in the second quarter, uh, fourteen for the game, but seven points in that five-minute stretch, and and we knew that that was you know the side of the court that Hernan Gomez struggled with, and I, I mean I get that Monroe is a you know a post player, uh, but man you you've got to slow him down in in some kind of sense, but you know I mean I guess it's a nice bench player to have, especially if you're going up against backup centers like Hernan Gomez because Monroe he he did some work in that second quarter, and Hernan Gomez had no answer for him in the post. Yeah, that he did, and that's why that that's why the the Celtics sought out Greg Monroe in the uh, the the free agent market, the buyout market uh, mm-hmm. this season was because they wanted a little bit more scoring punch on the second line, and and Monroe is the guy that you can throw to. He can go. He, look, he's not an amazing player, but he can get you a bucket on the on on the block, and you can even give it to him at the in the pinch post and run cutters and splits mm-hmm. off of him, which so it's sort of like a diet Al Horford in in that sense which I'm sure is something that appealed to the Celtics. But yeah, in this game, uh, Greg Monroe goes three for three on possessions defended by Willie Hernan Gomez, scoring seven points. He goes three of six on possessions defended by Frank Kaminsky, too, also for seven points. So yeah, he goes six of nine um, against Frank against the Hornets' backup bigs in this game. Again, it, we, and this, this was applicable in the Philadelphia game. Maybe we can use, even use this to transition in. But no Cody Zeller. And you look, Cody's a really good player, and he would have been good against both the Celtics and the Sixers, and his presence was clearly missed. Even if against Philadelphia, I thought Hernan Gomez did a, some positive things yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, Cody feels like you know, and, ma- and matchup wise, is probably a little bit better than Dwight when it comes to the Celtics. So yeah, that that'll transition yeah. to us to the last game that we're going to recap on this episode, and that was the 110-99 loss to the 76ers. Uh, the final score really doesn't do any favors for the Hornets. I felt like the game was real close throughout. And Charlotte, I felt like, controlled the game for probably 75% of the time. Even yeah. had a lead of 14 points, Brian, at one point in this game. And Kemba, once again, uh, was amazing in this one, scoring 31 points on 11 of 21 shooting, while also uh, tallying, at, uh, tallying five assists. Nick Batum also had a strong game, finishing with 14 points, 13 rebounds, and 8 assists. Uh, But it just wasn't enough as the Sixers made their second-half comeback, made their fourth-quarter comeback, uh, and were led by players like J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, uh, and Ilyasova even made an impact late in the game where he scored 11 points in that closing quarter. So I'll kind of start off with my quick thoughts and then pass it to you, BG. Um, First off, MKG, I thought kind of – it started off a little bit bad, but I thought his defense on Simmons picked up as the game went along. I will say that in the first quarter, you know, Philadelphia likes to push the pace. And if you get the ball in Simmons' hands, he's he's a bigger player, bigger point guard that he can pick up ahead of steam and, and head towards the paint. And you're, you're always taught, you know, in, in basketball to stop the ball in transition. And it felt like MKG didn't do a good job early against Simmons and stopping that ball in transition. And there wasn't a whole lot of resistance and Simmons was able to get into the paint with ease early on. And, but I will say in the second half, he did a better job of that and uh, either forced difficult shots or forced no shot at all from Simmons. Definitely stopped Simmons and the 76ers from kind of getting into the flow of things 
while in transition. So I will say that is a positive for MKG. Started off a little slow, but picked it up towards second, third, and fourth quarters. Kimba again, I know this is a broken record, but once again, outstanding. He, he just is very calculated in how he turns it on, or when he turns it on. When he needs to be aggressive, he will. It felt like the first quarter of this game was a prime example of this. Um, he was a little bit, I wouldn't say passive to begin the quarter, but right when the midway point hit, it seemed like he kind of flipped a switch and took over. Uh, he scored 12 points in the first quarter alone, and he had several stepbacks on Sarich. I felt like they got that switch a couple times, and he knows exactly what to do when he's got a bigger guy on him. So again, MKG I thought was a positive, at least later on, and, and Kemba, as always, for this team, just steps up so big for us. Yeah, the... You said it. You said it, Richie. This looked like a game that you've seen a lot this season for the Hornets, albeit against a a pretty darn good opponent in the 76ers that have been rolling recently. And I mean, how freaking good is Joel Embiid, too? I mean, what a monster that guy is. 23 points, 15 rebounds, uh, three blocks, and he probably influenced a lot more than that, too. I mean, he's he's become arguably arguably the best defensive center in basketball. Um, and what a force he is on offense. And he's a tough matchup for Dwight. Again, these sort of stretch five type guys that can shoot out to 25, 26 feet is asking a lot to guard for Dwight to check him that far from the hoop. And, you know, we've seen in some of these games, including uh, some of the matchups with Minnesota this season, and maybe even the Knicks back, back way long ago when Porzingis was healthy, you've seen Marvin, they flipped it and they've had Marvin guard these this sort of stretchier fives. You can't you just can't do that with Embiid because he'll just go immediately go to the block and just punish you. Which that happened. There was a moment in the first half when Dwight was in foul trouble and Hernan Gomez checked out of the game and they had or Hernan Gomez was out. Philadelphia checked Embiid into the game and then all of a sudden it was Marvin Williams or Frank Kaminsky trying to guard and beat on the block. And the first thing that happened was he got a double team, whipped it out and mm. found somebody for a wide open three. Um, I mean, it was just not, that's just a tough matchup for anybody, but Kemba was incredible in this game once again. And I mean, he's been rocking and rolling this season. Uh, a couple, a couple notes on Kemba Walker here. He's now up to number four in the NBA in efficiency out of the pick and roll Kemba with an effective field goal percentage of 52% scoring 1.04 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler. The only guys that he trails in that are Curry Kyrie and Damian Lillard. He's actually been slightly more efficient than LeBron James. Um, And Durant's actually been more efficient, but he's used way fewer pick and roll possessions. So I, I didn't, this was guys that use at least five pick and roll possessions per game. Um, that Kemba ranks fourth in the NBA. I mean, he is one of the best pick-and-roll offensive players in America, and I said this, or not just America, in the NBA. But this goes back to what I said last week. You just you would wonder what he would look like if he played in an offense that had more options, more screeners, more shooters, had a little more creative game plan and just the stuff this guy could do because he's pretty damn good when you just let him go 1-5 pick-and-roll and go to work. Um, another note on Kemba, he's up now to 39.4% on three pointers for the season. So after sort of starting hot, cooling off a little bit, he's basically where he was a season ago. Um, Kemba is also shooting 39.1% on pull-up threes this season. So 4.7 pull-up attempts per game. Kemba's shooting 39% on those that ranks number nine in the NBA. Um, he's fractions away from guys like Curry and Harden and Paul George, and he's actually ahead of Damian Lillard in that category. He's number 10 in the NBA in three-point percentage on pull-up threes. And i also say this about Kemba, too. He's one of only six players in the NBA that takes at least four pull-up three-pointers per game. It's Kemba, Steph Curry, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, and Lou Williams. So you've got five all-stars and the six-man. Right. I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty incredible company to be in for, for Kemba. Um one other issue with this game though, which is sort of, again, this is why what happened against the 76ers on Friday looked like a game that you've seen take place a lot this season, which was struggling in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, the Hornets lose this game by 11 points. They are outscored 36 to 19 in the fourth quarter. Um, for the season, Charlotte has been outscored by 47 points in the fourth quarter. 
That's number 26 in the NBA. So only four teams in the league have worse point differentials in the fourth quarter. Um, Charlotte's clutch offense, so last five minutes of the game, score within five points. All kinds of issues again last night. Charlotte outscored by five points in clutch minutes, uh, two of six shooting, 33%. For the season now, the Hornets are 28th in the NBA in clutch offense. Only Dallas and Memphis are worse, uh, scoring under 92 points per 100 possessions. An effective shooting rate of 37.2%. That's 29th in the NBA. And they shoot just 20.3% on three-pointers in clutch minutes. That is the worst in the NBA, 20.3% on threes in the final five minutes of a game with a score within five points. And yeah, I just it was just one of those games where you could just see it coming. I, it got to a point where, I don't know, probably nine or ten minutes left in the fourth quarter where I was my thought was the Hornets are not going to win this game. I mean, they're just not because... And, and here's the thing that here's here's what's here's what's tough is that the Hornets are having these issues in these clutch situations. And look, some of that is bad luck, no doubt. But at this point, season's almost over with. This isn't this isn't just noise. This isn't just bad luck. And what's tough for me is is that this team they're having issues not because they're not trying hard. Everyone's playing so hard. It's not because they're disconnected. I think the team has good chemistry, good vibes. I think they support one. I think they buy into it and they don't have issues in these clutch moments because they're ill-prepared. The team is, the team is over-prepared by an excellent coaching staff led by Steve Clifford. I just don't. So they're prepared and they're trying hard and they're buying into the system and they're playing for one another, but they're just, they just don't have the talent and the shooting and the playmaking. And it's just so, obvious teams will just trap Kemba and like the Sixers did. And the Hornets can try to do some stuff to counter that where they were doing these, these like stacked double pick and rolls for Kemba that make it, that make it a little bit harder to, to trap him. But it, it's still, it's, he doesn't have a lot of good options other than I got to go take a contested shot. Um, also in this game, the Hornets take just 24 three pointers and make 11. So they shot a great percentage. Why didn't you take more of them? Right. Uh, the Hornets go four of 19 on field goal attempts that are inside the arc and outside the paint. So those are these inefficient looks, uh, mid-range looks. The Hornets go four of 19, again, from inside the arc, outside the paint. Too much of that, not enough help for Kemba. And again, predictably, clutch situations, not great. Yeah. I mean, kind of touched upon all the things that you just talked about with Kimba, you know, being so, so productive out of the pick and roll. You know, we talked about that earlier uh, with all those numbers that you presented. And there's like one little thing that I've been noticing that he's been doing. And I don't know if it has a purpose or not, but I feel like it may, it may. Uh, In these high pick and roll situations, I feel like Kimba does this thing where he kind of throws the ball out ahead of him sometimes. And it, to me, it almost forces the big to kind of make a decision or almost tempts him to kind of chase that ball that's a little bit out ahead of Kimba and it forces him away from the basket. You know, maybe there's no purpose to why Kimba is doing this, but I've been noticing that recently as he's coming off the pick and roll, he kind of throws the ball out ahead of him a little bit farther. He runs to go catch up to it and the big that's, you know, defending Dwight tends to like kind of chase the ball a little bit or come away from the basket and drift away. And, and Kimba's able to get to the basket uh, in that sense. But yeah, the clutch offense uh, was not, was not good. And like you said, it does seem like it's all Kimba all the time. And the goal uh, for any opposing team that's defending the Hornets late in games, trap Kimba, get the ball out of his hands and most teams have been doing a very good job of that. The Sixers even put uh, Robert Covington on him late a lankier defender, that's going to get the ball out of his hands. You, you might not even need to, to trap in that situation. Just get someone bigger where it makes you know your life a little bit more difficult. And it is kind of predictable. We've seen this game after game after game late in the quarter. I actually had more hope than you, Brian. I thought maybe they would pull it out. Uh, I didn't have that <laughs> sense like you did, but uh, I definitely saw it taking that direction. I thought maybe with our momentum that we've had this season or late in the season that maybe – uh, we would we would pull it out. But one thing that I did also note in the fourth quarter was just the points in the paint. There were several times when J.J. Redick just came off a curl pick and he was just wide open for a layup and, and nobody, Dwight, wouldn't even help off his man to stop the penetration and uh, f- 
Philadelphia outscored uh, Charlotte 54-38 to in the points in the paint. 32 of those points in the paint came in the second half. And third and fourth quarter, we saw that a lot. They were driving off those pick and rolls. And several times in the fourth quarter, Reddick just had a wide open layup uh, where there was no real kind of wall set up there. So, yeah, I mean, that that pretty much, we've said it all for this game. Any other th- last thoughts before we move on to the next topic? Just, uh, you know, like you said, with, with Reddick being open on some of those looks, uh, Joel Embiid, five screen assists. Rashawn Holmes, Philadelphia's backup center, four screen assists. In the game before against the Celtics, Baines and Monroe combined for 10 screen assists too. It, look, it, it, it's not all on Dwight, but again, these teams that can space the floor like that, it, it, puts, it puts a lot of strain on, a, on, a, on, a, on an old-school center like Dwight. And, and again, it wasn't all on Dwight. And he he missed a lot of time because of foul trouble in this game too. So look, look, I'm not trying to heap that all on him, but this has been a theme uh, for the Hornets this season. I thought one other last note from this game too was just you get the sense of just how big the 76ers are. I mean, my God, it was in, it was amazing to see, and they started the game with JJ Redick on Kemba, and they put Ben Simmons on MKG, and we're sort of using Simmons as. Um, like a free safety type, like the like the Warriors would use with Draymond Green, and uh, the Hornets. I thought early on did a decent job taking advantage of that. I th- even thought MKG got a couple buckets off some some ghost cuts on the backside of the defense too. But yeah, you just get a sense of just how big the Sixers are and how big they can be when they when they so choose. I also saw our old friend Marco Bellinelli played well in this game. Uh, Bellinelli, as uh, Stephanie Reddy would say, and as the Philadelphia PA system was saying. I heard that. Which I thought was funny, too. I mean, you know, Stephanie Reddy may need to lawyer up and uh, sue for royalties or something like that, too. But, uh, you know, I thought, again, the Sixers are are another example of a team like your – I mean, Houston's sort of the best example with Joe Johnson, Brandon Wright, Gerald Green of this. But we just talked about Greg Monroe in Boston of – they took advantage of the buyout market and getting guys like Ilya Sova, who had a great game, mm-hmm. Bellinelli, who gives them a, another shooter, which this team needed. Those they didn't lose any assets in getting either of those two guys, and they're signed, you know, for the minimum each for the remainder of the season. So, um, you know, good job on Philadelphia's part, you know, finishing out the roster with those guys. But you know, the Hornets, I thought they should have done a better job in the minutes when Joel Embiid wasn't on the court, and. Um, you know, look, Philadelphia's a great team. They're a buzzsaw, and we'll see if the Hornets can figure out any counter punches before they play one another again, which is very soon. Yeah. I thought the bench unit in the second quarter held their own. Um, you know, Philadelphia staggers their starters, like like we mentioned earlier, unlike we do. So we had an all-bench unit, and they, they had one or two starters on the court pretty much all the time in the second quarter. And I thought the bench unit did a pretty good job in that second quarter to kind of keep things afloat. But let's move on to another topic. We discussed this on episode 55, but just a little bit more talking about the playoff push for the Charlotte Hornets. They currently, as we speak, sit at 28 and 35. And for us to even go to the 500 mark, which may or may not be enough, we have to go 13 and 6 the rest of the way. And 538 gives Charlotte now a 20% chance to make the playoffs. I believe it was up to like 24-25 the last episode that we talked about this. We're in the middle of our toughest stretch of the season, or the at least the remaining part of the season. We played Boston. We got two games against Philly within a week. We got Toronto's game on Sunday. You know, the schedule does ease up a bit, Brian, but are you feeling a little less hopeful now? that the Hornets actually make the playoffs, um, considering that we probably could have won at least one of these games from Boston or Philadelphia. I know it's hard to like say, okay, one game we should have won against Philadelphia, but it might come down to one game. So like we can sit here and, and nitpick, you know, blowing that lead to the 76ers, you know, the game that makes or breaks us. So what are your thoughts? Your, your, you know, are you confident yeah. that, that Hornets have any kind of hope left? They they can have a little bit of hope, not much. Uh, Like you said, 538 has them as about a 20% chance of making the playoffs. That was all the way up to 27% yesterday, which again, I mean, those still aren't aren't very good odds. Uh, They're currently number 10 in the East. It's interesting, though, 538 has the Pistons, who are currently number 9, with only a 12% chance of making the playoffs. So they're giving the Hornets slightly better odds. 
um, than a team that's actually up on them in the win and loss column. But look a little bit further up that same column. Uh, Milwaukee, the Bucks are currently number seven in the East. They're an 88% chance of making the playoffs per 538. And the Miami Heat, who have actually not been playing very well the last 10, 15 games, but they're still locked in at number eight in the East. And 538 is giving them an 89% chance of making the playoffs. So no, there's there should not be a whole lot of hope for the Hornets. I mean, they're going to keep fighting, but they've basically got to win out. And that won't be easy with a game at Toronto uh, coming up on Sunday. The Hornets have 19 games left in the season, including that Sunday matchup with Toronto. 11 of them are on the road, so over half. Road game, road has not been too kind to the Hornets this year. But if you are looking for a little bit of a silver lining, they have only two back-to-back games left in the season. And they will be at a rest disadvantage against the opposing team in only two of those remaining 19 games. But the the matchups with Philadelphia are going to be tough this season. I mean, you can try to feast on uh, some of these. You know, they've got plenty of matchups. They've got what three more games with Brooklyn in the last 19. So maybe that's maybe that's something you can hang your hat on. But you just you need these other teams that are better and have better players to lose a lot. And at a at a at a, at a rate that would be highly unlikely to happen at this point in the season. So, you know, look, there's the, it's not over with yet. It's not like the Hornets have a, a one in a 100 chance of making the playoffs. It's it's better than that, but the odds are long and it's just tough because at this point they've they've tried so hard to make the playoffs that getting into this this 10 team tankathon at the at the bottom of the league, that bottom third of the league that's tanking like this, that's sort of turning the whole league upside down at the moment. The Hornets can't even get into that. They're sort of stuck in this middle ground, and that's why the Hornets have a 20% chance of making the playoffs, which is, not again, not great odds, and a 91% chance of getting the number 11 pick in the draft. Like, they, this is, they are stuck in the middle of the league right now. Um, it doesn't help also that they're, as we've said in previous episodes, they're capped out, too, uh, already next season. So... Look, it's going to be tough for the Hornets to going into the offseason. We'll talk about this a lot more as we go forward, but it's going to be tough to dramatically improve a team mm-hmm. that can't stay healthy. And this is worth, I meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about Cody Zeller. Cody's played in just 30 games this season. Um, and the knee injury that he did suffer in the game again, the win over Chicago in the left knee, that's the same knee that he tore his meniscus in uh, back in December against the Warriors. I, look, maybe. They still think they got a shot at a playoff run, and maybe Cody's body is telling them he's fine, and he'll try to gut some of these games out. But that second unit's not the same without Cody Zeller, and you missed out on the Cody Kemba minutes without him. Like the odds of the Hornets making the playoffs without a healthy Cody Zeller are so there. It's lower than that twenty percent chance, right? Right. That that five eight is spitting out at the moment. It's lower so, than Carter Williams' shooting percentage, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. Although surprisingly closer than you would hope for, uh, depending on what depending on what region of the four you're talking about with regard to MCW and his shooting efficiency or inefficiency, I should say. So, yeah, it, it's just tough. I mean, you'll need Frank Kaminsky, who's been on a tear recently, to keep playing this way. You need Kemba to keep balling. You need Dwight and Nick to stay hot. Um, and you need the Hornets to start shooting more threes. They sort of fell off that against Boston and Philadelphia. Get up, shoot 33, 35 three-pointers in a game, and just see what happens. Because clearly the formula you're using right now ain't enough. And it's just, even against an easier schedule, it's not going to produce enough wins. They basically, you know, they've got to win, you know, four out of every five games or more for the rest of the season. And that's just, you're asking, you're asking a lot of a team that's, strapped for depth and health and shooting and talent right now right i mean there, there's a reason why we're stuck in the middle as you say we're, we're not good enough to make the playoffs and it, it is going to be a struggle to to kind of end this season i know that like we said there's a little bit of silver lining in the sense that the schedule itself uh is definitely probably the easiest part of our schedule but you know there's a lot of road games we have to have the teams in front of us kind of uh you know get some bad luck, lose some games. It's going to be uh, on the difficult side to make the playoffs. And clearly we're trying to push for it because we didn't trade Kemba. We're, we're, we have all of our eggs in the playoff basket. And like you said, we have a 91% chance to get the 11th pick 
in uh, in the draft. But that's isn't that always the case? I feel like we start off with every year ninety one percent with the yeah, basically. Yeah. And you'd like to see them get to now the Lakers pick, which will end up going to Philadelphia or Boston. The Lakers are playing great right now too, so there's a chance. That, I mean, not this this may not matter that much, although it could be the difference between getting prospect a and prospect b the hornets could find themselves back in that 10 slot i it's tough to see them improving anything beyond that though in terms of lottery selection so um that is something to keep an eye on because the lakers with brandon ingram and kyle kuzma lonzo ball i mean they have been hooping recently and they had a great win uh thursday night against against the heat just a terrific i mean they just bl- blitz isaiah thomas had a great game and they blitzed the heat in miami or i think it was maybe it was in los angeles but wherever regardless um I think it was in Miami. A couple other, a couple other things I want to throw out about Zeller real quickly. Um, again, left knee, same, which is scary. This is the same knee that he hurt back in December. Do we have an update on this? I mean, do, there's there's uh, not been any news as of as of status. Now, right? Status is unclear. One other thing I looked at for playing Sunday against Toronto. Um, just something to mention with Cody. Look, this guy's really good. Uh, he ranks third in the NBA in screen assists per 36 minutes. He pairs great with Kemba, and he pairs really nicely with Jeremy Lamb in on that second unit. And so without that, I just felt against the 76ers, it was like, man, the second unit offense, they can't, they can't get anything going because it's just MCW dribbling around and throwing up bad shots, or it's Frank Kaminsky throwing up shots late in the shot clock, and you couldn't get north-south at all, which is what you can do with Lamb and Zeller. Because Jeremy's a pretty good pick-and-roll player. And uh, look, unfortunately, we haven't seen much of Cody and Kemba this season. Those two guys have played just 199 minutes together. But in those minutes, the Hornets, 110 points per 100 possessions, allowing just 99 points per 100 possessions. That's a net rating of plus 11 points per 100 possessions, which, by the way, the Golden State Warriors lead the league in net rating at plus 10.6 points per 100 possessions. So you can see how good this team is when they play those two guys together. And... In 32 minutes with Kemba and Cody on the court after the All-Star break, the Hornets are scoring 135 points per 100 possessions. And it just stinks that they, through injuries and through lineups and Dwight taking up a lot of minutes and stuff like that, that you just, like, the Hornets, they're at such a talent disadvantage on a lot of nights. Again, not a preparation disadvantage, not an effort disadvantage, not a chemistry disadvantage. I think they are in like the 90th percentile in all of those things in the, in the NBA. Um, and it just stinks that they can't maximize those minutes with Cody and Kemba more, partly due to the fact that Cody can't stay healthy for what, the third straight year in a row? And uh, that's a little scary because he's got a lot of money committed to him too over the next three seasons. All right, guys, to wrap the show, uh, BG, first off, is going to the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, which he mentioned earlier. And I thought maybe we'd ask him maybe to mention a name, a two, two names to keep an eye on for the Hornets or just in the draft in general. So, you know, Brian, what are some names that people should pay attention attention to uh, in the ACC for the ACC tournament as the season wraps up in college basketball? Yeah, I think, again, one name that I'll hit on again real quickly because we're going to have plenty of time to do this over the next three months too, but I mentioned this guy last week. Wendell Carter Jr. for Duke is the guy that you could see slip closer to that 9-10 range, maybe maybe in the Hornets' wheelhouse. Bag, Marvin Bagley's been the better player this season at Duke, but I could see a, there's, there's a world that Wendell Carter is the better NBA player because of his ability to, to because of his post defense and his ability to stretch to the three point line, I'm I'm very intrigued, and I think he could have um, a monster tournament. Last year, Jason Statham sort of took over at Barclays Center, and that performance is sort of what got him to be the number three pick and valued by the Boston Celtics as the number one pick, which is why they were happy to make the trade with Philadelphia. So I think Wendell Carter is a name to keep an eye on. He could have a big tournament up there. One other name I'll throw out, not quite as efficient or playing doesn't play the same position as Wendell Carter either, but Lonnie Walker, the fourth uh, freshman wing at the University of Miami, who had a big win today, last second against the Virginia Tech Hokies. Again, we're recording this on a Saturday, and Walker scores in double figures for that them in that game. Uh, Walker is an explosive athlete, and I think he's the guy that could become a pretty good defender on the next level. Again, he's a freaky athlete, even though he's coming off a knee injury in the offseason. Good transition player, shooting 56% in transition. 
uh, scoring better than 1.2 points per possession in transition, and has been a decent isolation score, shooting 50% on isolation basket uh, I- isolation possessions this season too. Um, his preferred style is spot ups, catch and shoot guy, but he really hasn't been that great of a long range shooter. Just an effective field goal percentage of 46.4% on spot up possessions, which is sort of about average. But um, I think that's I think he projects him to be an explosive athlete that can also stretch it to NBA range um, in the next level. He's just a little streaky now. He needs to get a little bit more consistent with his shot. But Miami's a team you'll get to see on display up in Brooklyn and in the NCAA tournament. And I would say Lonnie Walker with his Alfred Payton-like hair is a uh, is a name to keep an eye on for Jim Laranega and the Hurricanes. Yeah, definitely a name that seems to be at the tail end of the the first round or maybe in the mid. But again, like I mentioned to you pre-recording, that's where Donovan Mitchell was. He was like in the 20s. And it wasn't until the combine that he shot up to like the the teens or even like 11, 12 range on Draft Express. So uh, definitely a lot of names to keep, you know, an eye on. The ACC tournament picks up and you know, conference tournament season is here, guys. It's this week, so uh, always a good time to start checking out draft prospects. This is the time that I do. I don't watch college basketball like Brian and Spencer, but this is the time that I actually watch college basketball a little bit more. And I am one of those teachers, Brian, that puts on the ACC tournament at the end of uh, ah, uh, nice. Yeah. You remember those days? Nice. Yeah. Do you do you guys do you guys bring the TV? Does do you still like wheel it into the room on one of those big stands, <laughs> no. or have, as che- as technology evolved since I was last in middle school or it's high a, school? It's evolved, Brian. We have these thing called smart boards now, where they act Ooh. as as a TV, as a whiteboard. So it's it's uh the, yeah, we are definitely awesome. not of the age where you wheel in that TV. But that was those were the best days when you were a kid. You saw that TV in there, you knew exactly yeah. what was taking place. But uh, okay. so that does it for us on episode fifty six of Buzz Beat. Again, guys, subscribe to us on iTunes. If you aren't already, give us a review and follow us on Twitter at BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, Until next time, guys, we will see you, and hopefully Spencer will make his return. See you guys next time.